we just got back from uh, a wonderful pilgrimage to Israel. I hope that before too much time passes that you'll all have a chance to do that. It was an incredible thing. As a matter of fact, Robert was just talking about the foundation. We saw a stone in the rabbi's tunnels that was the foundation of the original temple in Jerusalem. And uh, that stone was half as wide as this stage and uh, weighed hundreds of pounds or tons or whatever they measure by. Uh, but it was an incredible thing, and I hope that uh, some of you get to go there. One of the places that we went was a place where Jesus asked a lot of questions. And the series that we're starting is a series called Questions Jesus Asked. Now, a few years ago, I did a, a study here, a series called uh, Questions Worth Asking, and we asked some of the same questions so that if you were uh, one who marks in your Bible, I'm going to do my best to avoid the questions that we talked about a few years ago and go to some new ones uh, that Jesus asked. So, questions. I actually started writing in uh, uh, just random thoughts. Questions are powerful. Some questions are more important than others. Will you marry me carries more weight than do these socks match. Fair? Some questions are rhetorical or a phrase that I invented, rhetorically passive-aggressive. And usually it's a spouse who starts a sentence with, do you think you should? Are you going to wear that? Don't you think this is a better choice? Bless your heart. <laughs> Some questions are accusing. Were you on, where were you on the night of the crime, or did you leave the toilet seat up? Some questions are encouraging. Son, there, do you think there's any better third baseman in all of the universe than you? Or don't you think you can do anything you set your mind to? Those are encouraging questions. Some questions are challenging. Is that the best you can do? An old bumper sticker said, Jesus is the answer to all of our questions. But the more I studied and the more I started thinking about this whole concept, I, I need to flip it around. Jesus is the question to all of our answers. We think we have it figured out. We think we have everything in place. We think we, we've sorted out our faith and, uh, and God's place in it and, and where we fit in the universe. And we, we think we've got a plan. We've scheduled a day. We've scheduled a month. We've got a Google calendar or an Apple reminder or something that, that keeps us in line. Then something happens, some uh, uh, circumstance. His questions disturb us. They make us evaluate what is cultural about our faith and what is at the core of our hearts. Some questions had obvious ministry opportunity. Who touched my clothes? What were you arguing about on the road? Some called for introspection. Who do you say that I am? Some called for commitment. What do you want from me? He said to a blind beggar. 
What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I said? Some pulled back the veneer of their commitment to discipleship. And I can almost hear him asking me the same question. Alan, could you not stay awake and pray with me for just one hour? So the role that the questions that Jesus asks are kind of important. And throughout the summer, we're going to look at some of those questions. We're kind of going to take a question each week. And I'm going to start with the question, do you believe? And I'm going to end with the question, who do you say that I am? And oddly enough, if you're ready to be geeked out by the geography of the place that I just was this past week, those two questions took place geographically very, very close together. One at Caesarea Philippi, one at Mount Hermon, the highest peak in all of Israel. How many of you knew that there was a ski resort in Israel? It was worth coming to church today, wasn't it? 10,000-foot peak, Mount Hermon. Uh, there's actually a ski resort that's open. There was still snow on the top of Mount Hermon when we went by it the other day. So questions that Jesus asked, questions that keep us moving. Jesus is the question to all of our answers. He challenges the things we thought we knew to be true, our suppositions, our presuppositions, our prejudices, our stereotypes. He, he, he challenges those. And if we watch closely the questions that he asked all the disciples or the general public or to us, there were some questions that he asked that, that seemed very much to be intended for people who would read this thousands of years later. So we're going to dive into the questions that Jesus asked and today I want to handle the question, do you believe? And I'm eventually going to get to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, if you want to find that in your Bible or your swipey thing or whatever it is that you look at. Eventually I'm going to get there, but I kind of need to set it up. Because in that particular passage, there's not really a question. There is an implication there. There is a, an implied, do you believe? But in other places, Jesus asked that question directly. And John, he, he asked the disciples, do you, do you believe yet? Uh, he, in Matthew, asked, he asked a blind man, do you believe? In John chapter 11, he asked Martha, talking about the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And so he didn't ask the do you believe question here, but he asked it in a lot of other places. And here it's very strongly implied, as you're going to see in the Scripture in just a minute. This is the heart of the matter. Whether Jesus is Jesus one thing or is the main thing. And that's what Jesus was getting at when he asked the guy, do you believe? He, he, he was asking, is, is your faith a resume item? And too many of us, right, you know, uh, uh, you're, you're doing your, your resume or your Vita for the next job opportunity, and you go, uh, yeah, Rotary Club and this business and that experience, and oh, yeah, I go to church. And it's sort of a, a, a list on the bullet points rather than being, 
I am a follower of Christ and everything else supports that. And here he's asking a guy, do you believe in a concept or do you believe in a person? So now to Mark chapter 9. Now I'm ready for that. I have to kind of set it up because all of these things took place in a sort of a sequence. And before any of this happened, Jesus was with the disciples in a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is as far north as you can be in Jerusalem, in Israel. Israel's just the size of Delaware. It's not very big. And at the far northern point in Jerusalem, in Israel, if you can hit a golf ball as long as Ron Cameron can, you could hit either Lebanon or Syria from the place where we were. And Caesarea Philippi was a, a garden kind of spot, but it was also a spot where there was a whole lot of pagan worship. And it seems an odd place that Jesus would have taken the disciples, but basically he was saying, we're going to worship something. What is it going to be? And he surrounded them with the icons of the culture. And today we would say, are you going to worship your hobby? Are you going to worship your, your neighborhood? Are you going to worship your job? Are you going to worship a, a, a habit? Are you going to worship a person besides? What are you going to worship? So he said to the disciples, who does everybody else say that I am? And then he asked, who do you say that I am? A probing question. That's the one we'll end the series with at the uh, first, uh, the last Sunday in July. So they did that. And then he took three of the disciples to sort of solidify his identity. We sing almost every week in here about the glory of God. And so he took three of the disciples, kind of the leaders of the group, Peter, James, and John. And he took them to Mount Hermon, where the ski resort is. I, I believe it's Mount Hermon. That's not uh, without uh, difference of opinion. But, but Mount Hermon is very close to Caesarea Philippi, where he was for the do you say that I am question. And now he's asking the guys to sort of understand that who do you say that I am is nuanced. It's a, it's a bigger situation. So beginning in verse 2 of chapter 9, he says this. Mark says this. After six days, six days after the Caesarea Philippi, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Now, we don't use that word transfigured very much, but basically everything about him changed. His, his aura, his, his uh, appearance, the glow that was around him, they kind of knew it was still him, but they realized there was something incredible. Uh, uh, you know, a bride is transfigured on her wedding day. We're sure that's the same girl, but boy, she has a look about her that's not the same as it was the day before. And, and Jesus was transfigured, and the, the Scripture goes on to say, there appeared, verse 4, there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Let's just hang out with some prophets that died thousands of years or so ago. And the disciples, Peter, James, and John, were just sitting around going, what is happening here? And Peter, in typical ready-fire-aim fashion, he said, let's build some little tents, some tabernacles. Let's build some little huts so you guys can just hang out forever. And Jesus goes, you're missing the point here. 
The point here is God's glory is invested in this person. The, the who do you say that I am question, it is answered in the glory of God. God has invested all of himself, all of his creativity, all of his redemption, all of his sustainability, all of his justice, all of his love, everything that he is, he is invested in this person, Jesus Christ. And it is not a global Jesus, it is a personal Jesus. And so the disciples are kind of slow to the uptake, but they're, they're kind of getting it. And then the very last part of it, the cloud overshadowed the whole thing. And, and I've missed this in studying before. I've kind of missed this one sentence because I'm so caught up in the glory, the aura, the, the God shows up on earth, Moses, Elijah, they're all hanging out and kind of talking shop. Well, what was it really like? Well, what was your miracle? What was your miracle? And at the very end of it, God trumps all of that stuff, almost like he was saying Jesus is replacing the prophets. The prophets were great. Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, Elijah, great. Moses, top notch. But this is my son. Listen to him. Mic drop. I mean, my, my questions are, are laid out there. But God, what about? But God, what about? But God, what about? And even Jesus' questions back to me. But the basis, the foundation stone for all of that is that this is God's Son. For God sent His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through Him would be saved. So the disciples had to grasp His identity before they could even move on to the next thing. So we all know that when we go to someplace fabulous like Israel, that not only is there a jet lag thing to deal with, there's also a, a coming down off of something incredibly spiritual, right? We were in a boat in the Sea of Galilee, and, and, and our particular route that day, Sea of Galilee is only 13 miles north to south, only eight miles east to west. And so we started at the, the southeast corner and made our way to the northwest corner. And somewhere in that boat ride, it occurred to me there is a 100% chance that I am crossing a wake that Jesus made. He went back and forth across the north end of that sea all the time. There is a 100% chance that the boat I was riding on crossed the wake of a boat that he was on. And my mind is blown. And I, I drill into those incredible spiritual moments like all of us have had but there also is a time where we have to come down off the mountain and the spiritual meets the practical. Let's, let, let me say that again so you can kind of mentally write it down. There is a place where the spiritual meets the practical. And in this particular setting, they come off the mountain, and here they go, verse 14. When they came to the disciples... Again, if you're a geography geek, probably somewhere around the Golan Heights, maybe the little town of Bethsaida, maybe Capernaum, uh, maybe Chorazin, I don't know, but uh, I'm guessing one of those towns just north of the sea. He comes down off the mountain, and there's chaos, right? 
Imagine if we had this incredibly wonderful trip to Israel and we come back and the Monday we get back is vacation Bible school. Who would have figured? They promised not to flash these things in front of me because I'm really not very attention oriented. And if you put moving things out here, I'm done. But it was, it was sort of that. It was like you don't have time to reflect. You don't have time to, to marinate. You don't have time to really think about it because there was chaos in the valley. And here's what was going on. They saw a great crowd around them, verse 15. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, they were greatly amazed. They ran up to him. And he said, what are you guys arguing about? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth. He becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they weren't able. So here's the setup. The question isn't whether you're going to believe, but who are you going to believe? This quote from James uh, K.A. Smith said, The question is not whether you're going to believe, but who. It's not merely about what to believe, but who to entrust yourself to. Who are you going to hook your wagon to? It's not a philosophy. I'm going to believe that philosophy. If you believe a philosophy, it's because you believe the person who told it to you. You believe in the author that wrote it down. It's always associated with a person. So he says, do we really think humanity is our best bet? Do we really think that we are the answer to our problems? We who have generated all of them. He said, the problem with everything from enlightenment to scientism to mushy, eat, pray, love-ism, is that if anything looks irrational, it's the notion that we are our own best hope. So the father, who is this guy that we just identified, he says to Jesus, I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able Jesus, verse 19, he said, you faithless generation, how long am I going to bear with you? Bring him to me. They brought him. When the Spirit saw him, now, now some people have tried to say that what this guy had was epilepsy or he had some other known disease. For whatever reason, and, and I don't have the answers to all of this, church, I, I, I would love to do a study on it one day, but it would be lots and lots of study. He had a demon in him. He was possessed by something evil. There was something unexplainable. It had been with him since he was a boy. Missionaries tell us they have seen this all over the world. Uh, we, we are naive if we do not think there's an evil supernatural if we claim to believe in a good supernatural. And so this, this whatever it was had taken over this boy and Jesus said, how long has this been happening to him? The father answered from childhood. Sometimes it even throws him into a fire, into water to destroy him. 
But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said, if I can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Do you believe? Here's the, here's the implied question that's there. Do you believe? So imagine a father whose son is sick, can't blame himself. There was nothing he did in his parenting that derailed this kid. There was nothing that, that was hereditary. There was nothing that was medically known. There, there was nothing that explained it. And this desperate father, I can only imagine, had exhausted his resources, had exhausted his emotions, had exhausted his relationships, had exhausted this. The, the, the scripture implies that this kid was probably a teenager. And so there's this, this idea that, a, that an exhausted father, maybe, I don't know, doesn't tell us he has any background. The, the part of Israel that they were in, there was not a, a strong tradition of either Christianity or Judaism. Somehow he had heard. Somehow he, he had a glimmer of hope. Somehow he had something that told him that this guy could make a difference. So he came to where he thought Jesus would be. All he found was nine disciples. He said, give it a go, guys. And they did all of the incantations that they knew. Jesus had told them they had authority over spirits. They had authority to heal. They had authority to forgive. And here they were doing everything that they knew. Come out. Everything that they knew how to do, they did. Nothing worked. So in desperation, this father comes to Jesus. G. Campbell Morgan says this, When he came down from the mountain, he found a disputing scribe's distracted father, demon-possessed boys, defeated disciples. He silenced the scribes, comforted the father, healed the boy, instructed the disciples. A lot going on there. And that's all true. But I want you to imagine the statement that this guy made. Because that's what drew me to this scripture. That's what drew me to this question. Do you believe? Alan, do you believe? And the father answered on behalf of all of us that have ever thought, I embrace the global Jesus. I don't have any problem believing. You were there at creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and there was nothing that was made without Him there. I believe in the global Jesus. He was there at creation. He was there in redemption. He was there in sustaining us. He was there to help us, comfort us, send the Holy Spirit. But God, can you handle today? Can you handle today's anxiety? Can you handle the fact that my job just ended? Can you handle that I'm sick, that I got a diagnosis, that my wife got a diagnosis, that my father-in-law got a diagnosis? Can you handle that I've lost my job? Can you handle that my marriage has fallen apart? Can you handle that my kids are off the rails? Can you handle today? I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. I won't ask you if you've prayed that because I know you have. I want to ask you if you've ever come to the place where you believe in the global Jesus, the big story, the big picture. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But, but God, what are you going to do about today? What are you going to do with my son? 
He throws himself into the fire, for goodness sake. Can anything be done? And Jesus said, can it or will it? And he said, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. I've prayed that once a week ever since I read it. I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. Oswald Chambers said about this whole story, he said, Jesus Christ demands the same unrestrained, adventurous spirit in those who have placed their trust in him that the natural man exhibits. We went to a a place that I've never been before. It's called Magdala, and there was a painting there, an incredible, incredible painting. And the painting took up probably a wall the size of that screen, or maybe not quite as large. I've actually got a picture of that painting. Just feet. (laughs) How incredible. This is at a place called Magdala. Mary Magdalene is from this town. They've they've dug up two synagogues and, and, and a number of houses so far. But this painting is on the wall of the chapel. Do you know yet what it represents? See that hand? That is a woman who said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. Chambers said we should all have the adventurous spirit that dares to poke your hand through a bunch of nasty feet and say, if only I can know Jesus, not know about him, not know of him, not know facts, not know where he went, not know geography, if I can know the person of Jesus Christ. Chambers went on to say, Jesus Christ demands that you risk everything. You hold on to your belief through common sense and leap by faith into what he says. Once you obey, you will immediately find that what he says is solidly consensus as common sense. So there's the story. A remarkable story of a of a father who prayed the prayer that all of us have prayed and the answer to do you believe? I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help me put all of it together. And I I have a few observations as we come away from the story. One, when we come to God with our shopping list, the question that remains is do you believe? My Monday list is family. My Tuesday list is staff. My Wednesday list is is people that I've married. My Thursday list is this. My Friday list is this. I have a list of things that I want to bring before God. Am I praying for the miracle or am I praying to know the man? And when I pray to know the man, it's like, God, I'm going to bring this before you. But more than anything, I just want to know you. I want to know that you are present in this hospital room. I want to know that you are with me with a family situation, a job situation, a neighborhood situation. I just want to know that you're there, that I'm not alone. You promised you would never leave me nor forsake me, and I need to hold on to that. My shopping list can wait. I just want to know you. 
Two, the question is not really, do you believe I can do this? But do you want to know me? Are you seeking me or a miracle? Third observation, honesty in prayer is refreshing and authentic. <laughs> I mean, so often I, I've tried to sound pretty. You know, as a pastor, when I first started praying in church, I wanted to have a voice that sounded like I was really connecting with God, channel my inner Billy Graham or something. And I remember more than once just going, even when I get to pray out loud in public, if I'm not talking to God and not for people, then it's an empty prayer. It's just noise. It's a chant of some kind. As a matter of fact, at the end of this story, Jesus said to the disciples when they said, why were we embarrassed? Why weren't we able to do this? Why weren't we able to cast out that demon? You, you told us we could. You, you told us it could happen. Why weren't we able? And he said something interesting. He said, this kind comes out only through prayer. And so now you're going, okay, what's the prayer for casting out demons? Is there, where, where's the script? And we miss the point because when we, he says it comes out only by prayer, we understand that prayer is connecting with the heart of the Father. And I can only imagine that the disciples tried to do what they had done before. They, they tried to replicate an experience that they'd had before. They tried to depend on past experience like Moses when he struck the rock instead of speaking to it. He tried to depend on the, that which they knew rather than saying, God, I'm getting out of the boat. I'm walking on water. I'm reaching through everybody else's feet to touch the hem of your garment. I'm going to depend on you like never before. And if you're not in it, it fails. That's what he meant when he said this kind comes out only through prayer. He wasn't saying, say a special chant, say a special Jesus loves me, this I know kind of prayer. He was trying to say, connect with the heart of the Father. When, when you understand that the heart of the Father is that this boy wouldn't be tormented anymore. The heart of the Father is not that you get to do it, but that the Father through you gets to do it. And the Father wants this boy healed. All you have to do is turn him loose. But it comes out through prayer because that means you depend on the heart of the Father like never before. Honesty in prayers, refreshing its confession, its dependence, its, its coming to God without pretense. And sometimes failure is the backdrop of faith. We just got through studying experiencing God as a church, 400 of you talked about a crisis of belief, a crisis of faith, and more often than not, failure sets that up. It's said that a Chinese word is for crisis is the combination of the letters danger and opportunity. I don't know if that's true. I don't speak Chinese. But the thought is that, that when we step out of the boat, we realize we're at the end of ourselves. And then we realize that a lot of times failure is what brings us to the end of ourselves, right? If we were just rocking along in, in rainbow and unicorn land, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have the sense that I can't go on a day. This is Father. I can't heal my son. I've tried everything. 
And all I can do now is reach through everybody's feet and try to touch his garment. Failure is often the beginning. Faith expressed in prayer is the power to overcome the enemy. Jesus said, you, you connect with the Father and there's nothing that can stand against you. Paul, Paul said that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can stand in the way. And finally, the heart of our quest, the question is whether our faith is one thing or the main thing. End up kind of where we started. So what do we do with this question? What do we do with this do you believe question? Do you believe in a concept, an idea, a religion, a possibility, or do you believe in the person of Jesus Christ? Would you bow your heads? It would be unusual if at least one person in here has never stepped out of the boat and said, I believe in you, Jesus. I I don't know how. I, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. It would be unusual if someone watching online was not praying that same prayer. I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. And so my challenge to you today is to, to, to ask yourself that question. Do you believe? Not in church, not even in this church, not in a concept, not in an idea. Do you believe in the person of Jesus Christ who came so that your sins would be forgiven? He said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. The same son who God sent into the world that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe in him? And if you don't, if you're not sure, if you're kind of kicking the tires, would you settle that question today or at least start the conversation? There are pastors that hang out in this room. There are people who are volunteers out in the lobby. Let's get that question started. And if you really want to probe it further, we go from here to a thing called Explore. It's our membership pathway class where we answer whatever questions are out there. And Sarah will direct you to where our room is. She'll feed you lunch if that's what you want to do. But it's important to leave here answering that question. Father, thank you for the honesty of a man. We don't even know how this thing turned out. We know that the boy was healed. We know nothing else about what happened. But for us, it's a story that challenges us because buried in there is a question, do you believe not in the miracles but in the man? Do you believe not in the possibilities but in the Messiah, the one who came, who lived, who taught, who died, was buried, rose on the third day, and promised to return? This is the gospel. Do we believe in that man? I pray that if there is someone who is trying to figure it out, they will start this conversation today, that they would come to Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name.